Please try and find a seat. I know it's crowded. I wish. So we're in Romans chapter 3. Remember uh, two weeks ago we started chapter 3. And how many parts of Romans were we going to look at? All of them. Three. There's, there's three, three major divisions in Romans. Actually, there's 31, but there's three major ones we're going to study. And we finished up the first, uh, the first part two weeks ago. Now we're going to be into the second part. And we're still talking about Jews and Gentiles. We're still talking about them being guilty of sin and under condemnation. And this is going to be repeated over and over and over for a while. Why? What does repetition do besides make you angry? After a while, you pick up on it, don't you? So Paul had to address this, this sin thing at different angles, and he had to show the Jews that, hey, your law, your Hebrew Bible says this. This isn't something new. I'm not, this isn't Paul's doctrine. This is Bible doctrine. Amen. So he's trying to bring this forth, and he has to kind of attack this at different angles here to show them and the Gentiles what God's saying and that they are guilty. Okay. Now let's look at chapter 3. I want to read uh, verses 9 through 12 to start with. Let's have a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for our blessings, Lord, today. Father, pray God you'd uh, bless our service, Father, today. And Sunday school, Father, pray God you'd, uh, you'd bless the firemen, Lord, and fire people out there that are trying to fire, battle these blazes. Father, pray God you'd give them safety, Father. Pray God you'd bless them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I had a guy that worked with me, uh, worked for me a long, long time ago. He used to be a smoke jumper. He's those guys that parachute in. Now, he did that for a number of years, mostly up in Montana, up around there. But he was a big, tall guy. But yeah, you know, he said, jump right in there. Well, you know, you're getting close when your parachute starts to melt. Well, but yeah, it's a tough, tough job. Let's look at verses 9 through 12 in chapter number 3. What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise, for we have before proved both Jew and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, verse 10 is part of what that we use a lot? Romans road. We use that, and we, we show folks that there is none righteous. No, no. You've got to show folks that they're in sin. And they've got to accept the fact that I'm a sinner before they can get saved. Otherwise, what are you getting saved from? So you've got to show them that we are all under sin. So Paul's doing the same thing. So verse 9 says, what then are we... We, me, is the Jews, better than they, the Gentiles. Why are they worried about that? They've been worried about that. Why are they concerned about, are we better than them? Paul says, no. Yeah, better than them. Jews have had more advantages. God may have even given them preference. I think he has. We can read about it. Given them preference. But are we better than they? No. 
And Paul's got to show them from Scripture that you're not better than them. Even though God's done all these things for you over the years, you're His chosen people, and He may prefer you, and He's used you, guess what? You are no better than the Gentiles. And it has to be that way. They have to be equal. Everybody has to be saved the same way. Everybody has to be convinced that they're lost the same way. There's no degrees. There's no variance here. Oh, well, since you're a Jew, uh, we'll give you a, 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 an advantage. No. Everybody's got to be in the same. That's what Paul's trying to do here through chapter 3. Everybody's in the same level. Same boat. Same everything. Same level. No one's better. No one has an advantage. Everybody's equally condemned. Because there's going to be one way of salvation, and it has to be equal. But everybody's got to be on equal footing to start with, or otherwise it isn't equal. So that's what Paul's trying to do here. So in the two preceding chapters, Paul um, had uh, proclaimed the guilt of the Jews and the Gentiles separately. You saw in chapter 2 he dealt with the Jews, he dealt with the Gentiles. Now, in chapter 3, in verse number 9, he takes them together. Okay. Are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have before uh, proved, Jews and Gentiles, that they are who? All. When the Bible says all, it means all. We have proved through scriptures that they are all under sin. Okay, So, there is none righteous in verse number 10. So, so Paul has to complete his argument, and he's going to arrive at a conclusion in verse number 20. He's going to arrive there. He's working towards that, uh, that by the works of the law or the works of the flesh, no man can be justified. We're going to talk about justification and stuff in part number three. Part number three, we're going to hit the trifecta of big words. We're going to hit the nuts and bolts of our salvation. It's instantaneous, but how does it happen? What, what, what's the mechanism there? What makes it work? That'll be in chapter in uh, part number three. Uh, so Paul's uh, purpose is to unfold God's plan for the latter part of this chapter uh, uh, that he has to reinforce and convince them that everybody's under sin, everybody's condemned. No matter what you did, what you think you did, what you tried to do, what someone's told you that you did, you're under sin. You're condemned. There's no way out. That's why the Bible uses the word all. So Paul had before admitted that, yeah, the advantages of the Jews were great. What does that mean? Nada. When it comes to condemnation, that doesn't mean a thing. Uh... You might be the best person in the world. You can think of somebody that's great. I can think of people that are great. Uh, uh, humanitarians and great people. But if they're lost, Amen. they'll split hell wide open. There's just nothing that can be done. It's just the way it is. That's God's plan. So yeah, I know lots of good folks. I know lots of good folks that are probably in hell. People that I knew in the past. Um, they're there. And it doesn't seem fair, does it? God didn't say anything about being fair. 
there's nothing fair about salvation. The fair part was is He gave His Son to die for us. Amen. That we didn't deserve it. That's the fair part. And God makes it very easy to be saved. And people reject Christ and hate God. And they find themselves in hell. Everybody goes, oh, I wonder why that happened. Well, because they didn't follow the simple plan of salvation. So Paul's trying to convince these folks and reconvince them over and over again uh, that nobody's better than anybody else. Everybody's equal in the eyes of God, and they're equally condemned. And they have to accept that. Paul denies that anybody was better than anybody else. In no wise, not at all, by no means, strongly denies that the Jews are better than the Gentiles or that they're better than the Jews. doesn't happen. Did God give the Jews an opportunity to do things? And they didn't do it. Remember he gave them the oracles of God? Had the plan of salvation is in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's there. The prophets knew about it. They talked about it. And they were still rejected. They love God. They just don't love Jesus. We'd get saved except for that Jesus. Well, you won't get saved except for Jesus. But that's that's that was their their hatred was for Jesus. So the word all means all. The Jews did not deny that they were sinners. They have, we have psalms that prove that. And we'll look at some of those. All under sin. The Jews admitted that they were sinful, and they readily admitted that the Gentiles were sinful. Yeah, those guys, man, you better deal with them first. You know, they're, you know they, they readily admitted, and vice versa. The Gentiles point to, oh, those guys, they're hypocrites and stuff. Oh, yeah. So everybody's, you know, doing this. Uh, there's no difference. And he includes them all individually. We can say all Gentiles and all Jews, but what about that person you looked at in the mirror this morning? That's you. That's an individual. That's, who's God, that, that's who God is dealing with. God doesn't work with ethnic groups or anything else, races. He deals with individuals. Okay? Verse number 10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And this is the leading proposition to the truth that Paul is trying to establish. Uh, and he's going to use some Old Testament scripture here. He's going to show them. This isn't something new that Paul is just saying. This has been there as long as they've had an Old Testament Bible. It's been there. David said that. Isaiah, all the prophets talked about that. It's nothing new. It shouldn't be the first time they're hearing this. If they were a good Jew, they should understand this already. So Paul uses the authority of the Scripture, and he brings forth some, some quotes. We'll look at a couple of them here. Um, look at Psalm 14. Psalm 14, and look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Psalm 14, 
Verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. That same fool is alive today, by the way. Amen. There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Same thing that verse number 10 said. They are all gone aside. They have altogether become filthy. Well, let me see here in verse number 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. There's none that, universal, universal depravity. That's what we're talking about. Universal depravity, universal cure. Okay? Universal condemnation, universal salvation, if you do it God's way. He made it available. Okay? So God examined everybody. He looked down and see to see if anybody was obeying the law completely. And he decided there's no one there that can stand before me and say, I've obeyed the law. No one can. He checked it out. God made sure. If there was one there, oh boy, we're in real trouble then. Because he made it and we didn't. Oh, got to obey that law. Too late. No, he couldn't find anybody. So this whole salvation, uh, this whole discussion Paul's doing, starting in chapter 1, verse 17, and 16, and 17, and 18, there is no one, without any qualification, there's nobody, no person possesses righteousness in perfect conformity to the law. Nobody. This whole object, Paul's whole object, is to convince the Jews and the Gentiles of their necessity to get saved. He wants them to understand that they are lost, they are under condemnation, so they'll say, what do I got to do? How do I get out of this? What, what's, what's the answer? That's where he wants them. That's when he can show them, oh, Jesus Christ died for our sins and paid our penalty. Amen. That's where he's trying to get his audience. There is none righteous, none of one. Nobody does good. There's none out there that are righteous. Nobody can follow the law. Oh, what do we do? Well, read on. God has made a provision for that. He's not going to leave us there. But unfortunately, a lot of folks choose to stay there on their own. He was trying to prove the necessity, just as we may witness to folks, we've got to show them that there's a necessity, there's an urgency. You're lost. You're not a bad person. Everybody's done things bad. Christians have done things bad. We're not talk we're talking about you individually. There's a provision for you Amen. because you're a sinner and you're bound for hell. There's a way for you personally, individually, on your own, by your own volition, to decide to change your destiny. Right. Amen. Amen. Everybody wants a choice. Oh, I want a choice about... Well, you get a choice. You have a choice. Right. And Paul's trying to show these, uh, these facts to his audience. So these scriptures don't just apply to the Jews. They apply to the Gentiles also. 
What kind of law did the Gentiles have? Yeah, it was in their heart. God, God revealed Himself to them. They were not without, oh, I wonder who made the mountains. They knew. They knew there was a supreme, God put that in their hearts. They knew that. God gave them a conscience. Anybody have a conscience? Conscience ever talk to you? I ate a do not back there a couple minutes ago. My conscience says, do not, do not. Do, and it didn't work. But uh, yeah, so we have a conscience that says, don't do it. Oh, no, you did it. You better do something about that now, you know. Uh, uh, we offend somebody. We go, oh, I got to get that right. Conscience. Okay, God gave that to us. So we're all under sin. This is why we have to be saved. Look at Galatians um, let me read something else first. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So it isn't the first time they've heard this. Paul didn't surprise everybody in the whole world. Say, oh, no, we're all under sin. Where do you think he is? No, it's been there. Solomon said it. David said it. Isaiah said it. Everybody said it. Galatians 3.22. Let's look at that for a second. Galatians 3.22 But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Who? And it was told by who who said it? Was that a Paul? Did Paul say, No. Your Bible says that. That's why we show folks from the Bible. Do you believe the Bible? Oh, I guess so. Bible does, God doesn't lie. This is the word of God. This is God's mind. This is God's plan. Let's see what God says. This is what God says. And Scripture hath concluded that all are sin. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Understand this verse. Everybody has to be under sin or what can't happen. Read that verse. Concluded all under sin that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. If you're not under sin, you can't get that promise. You can't get that. Amen. Okay, so that verse says that. Everybody has to be under sin or Christ came for nothing or what Christ did on the cross didn't matter. Right. See? And all are sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be what? Given Amen. to them that what? Believe. That's a great verse. So Christ had to come. He had to go through what He went through because that was the only way that we can get out of our situation. I mean, that's what it is. A lot of folks get saved just because it's fire insurance. That's okay. They may not live a fruitful life, but they're saved. It says there are some folks who are saved as by fire. They come up, they're smelling like a camel or something. You know, they, they, they smell like smoke. They're saved. No less than I am. Okay, so... Uh, all run to sin. Even Adam was not righteous. How many of you thought Adam was perfect? Adam was innocent. He didn't know good or evil for a little while. 
but he wasn't righteous. He didn't do anything righteous. Verse number 11 in our text, back in Romans, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. So equally applied to Jews and Gentiles, when it says there's none, if there's no one, there's also none. There is none that seeketh after God. Uh, in Ephesians 4.18, I'll, uh, I'll uh, uh, read it. Having, understand, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of blindness or hardness of their hearts. People choose to reject God. And they make a decision. We show somebody the plan of salvation. They make a decision. And the decision almost... Sometimes they just choose to get saved. Oh, I, I can, yes, I, I've been waiting for you. But sometimes they say, yeah, I'll put it off for a while. When are you going to do it? Oh, I'll do it later on. Deathbed. I'll wait till then, like everybody's got a deathbed. Everybody doesn't. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen to us, when or where or how. Uh, I'll wait until, I'm, gonna, I'm working on something else right now. I'm turning over some new leaves. Well, I got a whole yard of them. I'll bring them to your house. You can turn them all over. You know, what's that going to do for you? That's me trying to make me better. Me does that every year about January. Don't you, anybody else do that? This year I'm going to do this and that. I'm working on 1967 still. I, mean, I haven't made nothing better. But I've said the same things every year. I'm still catching up. That doesn't work. Amen. I'm going to make me better. I'm going to try to do some things. I'm still trying. But I'm not going to try to get to heaven because I can't. So I accept that Christ as my Savior. The assertion in this passage that we just read in Ephesians is that all men are naturally ignorant of God. If you don't believe me, ask somebody. Who's God? Who's Jesus? He was just a carpenter, son. My dad believed that. He was just a carpenter. Really? They don't know who God is. They don't want to know Jesus. They reject Him. So, by neglecting Jesus, the thing most needful for them, they show they have no understanding. They don't appreciate what God's done for them. Verse number 12 of our text. For they have all gone out of the way. They are, all to, all to, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, verse number 6. They've all gone out of the way. That means something. Let's look at Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he is, while he may be found, found. Call ye upon him while he is near. They've all gone out of the way. They've all become unprofitable. Look at verse number 8. I mean uh, 7 back in, uh, in Isaiah. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous, unrighteous of man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord that he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 
God says, my thoughts, in verse number 8, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 12, back in Romans 3, says, they've all gone out of the way. What does that mean? It means the ways are open to man, to everybody, and you get to choose which way you go. You can follow God's ways, or you can make your own way. And when you make your own way, you are out of the way. That's what he's saying. They have all gone out of the way. Out of the way of what? Out of the way God wanted them to go. They've gone their own way. I'm going to make it on my own. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I haven't seen a bootstrap since I rode a motorcycle. Anyways, I haven't seen a bootstrap. I have shoelaces. I've got boot laces. We pull them too hard and they break. So I don't, I don't do that anymore either. So anyways, they've all gone out of the way. They've all become unprofitable. What is unprofitable? It doesn't pay. It's corrupt. It's, uh, they have become corrupted. They have rendered themselves useless. Everything is corrupted when it loses its use. Look at a junkyard as you drive by sometimes. You ever see one? What's in there? Junk. Useful junk? Maybe. Not much. It's corrupted. It's useless. It's, it's gone out of the way. It's not useful. You can't drive it anymore. Uh, it's corrupted. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. There's none that come up to the requirements of God. These requirements. There's none righteous, and both the prophets and the apostle Paul keep reinforcing this. And they want to reinforce the greatness and the extent of the human condition. We are needy. We are corrupt. We're under sin. We need a Savior. Now let's read verses 13 through 20 in our text in Romans, chapter 3. Verse 13 says, Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Let's, let's stop here. I'm going to talk about these few verses here first, and then we'll get into the last two um, that I wanted to look at today, maybe. So Paul, before, has talked about things in general. Now he's going to get specific a little bit. Respecting words and action in a manner that shows that men are engaged in doing evil. And he uses these first couple of verses, verses 13 and 14, to show their words are evil. And he does this in these, these two verses, and he, he uh, identifies all the organs of speech. You've got a throat, you've got a tongue, you've got lips, you've got a mouth. And 
He says this kind of, this tends to aggravate their depravity. Not only are they lost, they talk about God in a way that they don't want anything to do with God. Their words aggravate their depravity. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That's in Psalm chapter 5, verse 9. What proceeds out of their heart, what proceeds out of their heart and their mind, your mouth doesn't just do the talking. It doesn't think for itself. It says what's in there. You know what I mean? That's how it gets out. You may have noticed that. Uh, so your thoughts come out through your mouth, and what that is is like an open grave with the stench of death. He says, with their tongues they have used deceit. Psalm chapter 5, verse 9. The tongue is the means that we have to glorify God. We can do it through actions. God wants to hear. I love you, God. I love you, Lord Jesus. I thank you for what you, you praise God. That's what our mouth is for. That and a few other things. But it's now used as a purpose of destruction. We use our mouth to destroy people, don't we? Not, not we, man in general, uses their mouth to destroy people. This is all on TV. I get my whole lesson from TV. You can watch news and say, man, what's this guy? You know, it's out there. It didn't just happen in 2020. It's out there. It's just more prevalent today for some reason. Men are saying some things that are just wicked Amen. and intent on destroying people. And they do. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. came from Psalm 140, verse 3. These lips that should testify of Christ now curse His name. God gave us a mouth to praise His name and to testify, and we curse God with that same mouth. I don't want God. I don't need that. You will. I like telling folks that. You will. Your knee's going to bow and you're going to con confess. And you're going to remember we had this, this, this conversation. I mean, it's just, you know, you will. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. That's taken from uh, Psalm 10, verse 7. It says, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit. And fraud under his tongue is mischief and vanity. Paul later on calls that corrupt communications. Filthy, infected communication. Deceitful flatteries. Subtle and piercing evil speaking. And finally, we see the outrageous and open curse the expletives and insults against one another. We see that every day now. Can't get away from it. Psalm 64.3, their teeth are spears and arrows. Psalm 57 verse 4, 
and their tongue is a sharp, sharp sword. James 3.6, their tongue is a fire. The Bible talks about this over and over again. This isn't something new. Paul's not bringing something new to the game here. He's re reminding them what the Bible says. You all know this. This is in the Scriptures. Verses 15 and 16, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. So he takes, he talks about their words, and now he goes into their actions. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their actions are sinful. Proverbs 1.16, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. There was some deputy sheriffs in California shot just today or yesterday, just sitting in their car. Their feet are swift to shed blood. The general sinfulness of man and violence committed among them. How ready people are to shed blood. And they're not restrained by consideration of the good of society or anything else. They're not afraid of the laws. They do these things with impunity. No fear of punishment. Because if they find me, they'll arrest me, but then I'm not going to go to court, or if I go to court, I'll be released. Then they won't catch me again, you know. They have total impunity. They have, they have no reason to worry about anything. Nothing's going to happen to them these days. God's going to judge that. Amen. Destruction and misery are in their ways in verse 16. Uh, I, Isaiah 59, 7 says, Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths. Don't you, aren't you glad you don't live in a city that, uh, that you don't have to live in a city that's been destroyed by, by rioters and protesters and mischief? Just destruction. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. Go to Portland. What's left of it. You know? And verse 17 says, The way of peace have they not known. They don't know what peace is. They don't have it. And they don't want you to have it either. Why are they closing all the churches down and finding pastors for staying open? Because they don't want to have that peace. They don't want you to have it either. We have a right to that peace. We could be in a communist country and have the right for that peace. It doesn't matter what kind of society, but we have the right to that. God said we did. But they don't like it. They don't have it. Don't want us to have it either. There was no fear of God before their eyes, it says in verse 18. No fear. Psalm 36, 1, the transgression of the evil of the wicked saith within the heart there is no fear of God before his eyes. So having followed up this general charge and then these specific things, there is none righteous, no, not one. Paul produces these examples of human depravity. They have a lack of understanding. They have a lack of concern. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no reverential fear. People are, you know, speak to God and Jesus like, like they're nobody. No respect. 
It's remarkable that man, while they may acknowledge God, act without, act without any fear of his displeasure. What's God going to do? Read about it. You think God's going to zap them or something? He may. But read about it. This is the only book you can read about your future if you're not saved. You can read about your future if you are saved. You can read. What's my future? You don't need a crystal ball. You just need a Bible. Okay? But this is man's character. Man's afraid of man more than he is of God. You know what man does today that's really bad, that, that's, that, that scares people? It bothered me. You ever heard of shaming? Anybody know what that is? Or not familiar with that term? Shaming? Something you do, something you say, someone you are, something, something about something... People spread all over the world and shame you. We used to have people walking through our parking lot at WTA and they would see people that were parked over the line, take a picture of it and put it on the, the Facebook. I don't get Facebook or Facebook. I don't get that stuff. They put it on there and shame someone doesn't know how to park a car. Oh, but I wish. I wish I was into that kind of stuff. I wish I was into Facebook. Take the picture of the bus. Oh, Someone doesn't know how to take a corner without hitting the tire. Oh, someone doesn't need to, you know, I could do that. I'd love to, but I, I didn't. But boy, if I could, it'd be fun. Oh, I know this driver. They can't even turn. Oh, they hit somebody. Oh, they did this. They, you know, that could, that could kill people. People die because of that. People kill themselves because of that. Did you know that? You get young teenagers, they kill themselves because of that. That's a deadly weapon, Amen. in my mind. I don't do that stuff. I, I don't like that stuff. Amen. That stuff's wicked. But people are afraid of people now. Because someone's going to shame them or say something about them or get a picture of them yeah. and publish it. And they have to move to Montana or Wyoming or somewhere because they or get in a witness protection program because they can't live anymore. Terrible. Fear of man prevents people from doing Fear of man prevents people from getting saved. Right. If you get saved, something in your life is going to change and people are going to see that and they're going to ask you what happened and you're going to tell them and oh no. That happens. If I get saved, what will my friends think? Well, don't tell them about it. They might get saved too. You know what I mean? But people are afraid of what people think about them. It's too bad. God puts his fear in our hearts. I'm afraid of God. I have a reverential fear about God. I'm not afraid that God's going to kill me. I'm afraid of God's awesomeness. I don't use that word awesome at all, rarely. But when it comes to God's majesty, that's when I use it. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of the things that I haven't done that I should have done. I'm afraid of the things that I... Don't do that I should do. Those are things I'm afraid of. Having to stand there and before God and say, I had a headache or I didn't feel, you know, whatever it is. That's what I'm afraid of. God. Not in a bad way. 
reverential fear. Amen. You know, I'm just a speck in the universe, but I'm afraid of God. I, I fear God. Amen. People don't. And they should be afraid of that. In the way of peace, in verse 17, have they not known? They haven't known the peace. Next week we'll talk about verses 19 and 20. Then we'll get into part number 3 here. And we'll look at the big words. Justification. Redemption. Propitiation. Do you have to know what those words mean? No. When you get saved, you don't pull out the, you know, the tracks 15 pages long and you've got to understand all these. No. Being saved is easy. It's simple. It's God's plan. But it's fun to know what the mechanism is. It's fun to know how did this happen? How did God do that? Or what did God do? That's fun to know. Next week we'll see that. Fun things in the end of chapter number 3. What is justification? What does redemption mean? How did that work? What is propitiation? That's a word you hear every day. And we'll learn some other things here. So come back next week, and we'll talk about that. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the day. Father, thank you, Lord, for this lesson. Father, pray, God, you bless the services of the Father. Lord, pray, God, you bring visitors, Lord, and just regular folks back. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.